as for burdens, though, you know, meetings to me that have a nebulous purpose are just the worst. It's like Superman holding kryptonite. I just melt (laughs) in my chair. where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I'm your host, Kelsey Taylor, and today on the show, we have two Enneagram type fives that have come out of hiding to join me on the show today. Uh, Allow me to introduce our first guest, Tony Hale, who is the CEO of a financial institution. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kelsey. Awesome to be here and uh, excited to uh, participate in this. Our second guest is Rebecca Morales, who is a fellow podcaster and co-host of the Jack Russell Parents podcast. Shameless plug, I will have a link to that in the show notes. She's also a standardized patient educator. Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Kelsey. I'm super excited. It's not very often we get to talk about ourselves type five, so this is a treat. (laughs) No, I'm so excited. And fives are truly gifts to the world with the knowledge that they have to share. So I'm excited to have you both. Tony, I'm going to shift it over to you. I'm going to ask you a little bit about your role as a CEO at a financial institution. What does that look like? What does your job look like? And how long have you been in that position? I've been there 14 years, been in the industry 25 years. And uh, I would probably describe the CEO role as the chief problem solver. But obviously, management involves planning, leading, organized, controlling. And you're, you're managing people. You're managing work that gets done through others. So there's a lot more to that. But the way I describe it to my kids is I'm solving problems every day. That's awesome. So when I get home, I really don't want to have to solve as many problems. But that, that never stops. <laughs> You have problems with your kids and your family? From time to time. Mm-hmm. It's rare. It's strange. Just, just <laughs> every day. It's interesting to me when fives are in leadership and management positions. They're so qualified with the knowledge that they bring to the table, but that does require a lot of energy from them. So how do you as a five recuperate from a stressful day or how do you store up that time that you need to, um, to I guess, re-energize or recharge? Yeah, well, some days I don't have a heavy schedule as far as meetings and interactions, and that's not going to drain my energy as much as a day where I'm in meetings all day or we're having conversations about how to solve a problem or something came up. On a day like that, I'm going to be pretty reclusive when I get home, Mm -hmm. and I think my family gets that. They're used to seeing that. After dinner, I'm probably retreating to my office for a little bit and just not talking to people. And it's not because I'm not interested in their day or anything like that. I just have to have some solitude in order to, you know, recuperate. Rebecca, for you, how is it that you've come to be in this role as a standardized patient educator? What does that even mean? And how long (laughs) have you been doing that? So I have been doing that uh, work for about 12, 12 and a half years, and I've been in my current position for four and a half years. So what a standardized patient educator does briefly is that we train pretend patients, medical students, nursing students, you know, it's an opportunity for them to practice their skills, their clinical skills and their communication skills. 
real people or almost real people, uh, actors. Uh, So the back end of that is the development of everything that we do and the tracking of data and, you know, all that corporate aspect as well. Yeah. So that's what that is. And that's what I do. That's amazing. I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) Yeah. I know most people don't. Okay. Tony, for you, what is it that you love most about the CEO role and the problem solving that comes with it? Generally, I, I like the diversity of the challenges that come up. Sometimes those challenges can be so unexpected or somewhat chaotic that it has the opposite effect where I don't like it. Sure. But in general, when you're you're setting goals in a business and you're forming teams that are going to achieve those goals, it's so much fun to see those goals realized Mm -hmm. and address each of those challenges. We're in a pretty complex business, but it's a pretty traditional business uh, banking. And so it's fun to just tackle the different challenges that come along. And that keeps things interesting. I think off air too, we were just talking about how you're a five wing six Mm -hmm. and the label for that is the problem solver, which just, I love, it's so fitting for you. Rebecca, for you, what is it that you like most about this standardized patient educator role? Well, I love being able to develop projects and people. Um, I love collecting the data and finding out the learning objectives and then putting together something, creating something out of that data, basically. Um, I often also have the opportunity a lot of times to uh, observe my standardized patients, give them feedback. And so I, I think a lot in terms of patterns of behavior. And whenever I say that, I think of Michael Scott in that episode. So anyway, <laughs> But it's true. Like I see patterns of behavior. And so I think that lends well to my job of of education and uh, teaching standardized patients on how to get better at what they do. So that's really what I love about it. I think for both of y'all too, it's helpful to know that there's data that's driving a lot of these, these goals that we're reaching. There's this information that we're using, which I think is just very helpful for a five to have that aspect in their role for sure. Mm-hmm. Tony, how do you know that you're a type five, like beyond the shadow of a doubt? Well, we started studying the Enneagram model in small group. We went through all the types from one to nine. And every time we got on a type and started studying, I thought, oh, this is me. And <laughs> I thought that all the way through to nine. And I thought, obviously... I'm wrong. So somewhere I've got to be, you know, I've got to land on something. And it took a couple of assessments, but everything kind of pointed to five. And part of part of that uh, confusion, I guess, is that the way that these types are labeled can cause an aspirational bias. Sure. And you want to be like in my case, I wanted to be. No, I'm a I'm a three. I'm an achiever. Right. You know, who doesn't want to be a perfectionist? Usually, that's a, a positive connotation. Yes. But uh, ultimately, you have to settle on reality. And and five uh, is where you know I, I'm most fit. You know, how do you know? I don't really know, but I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure. Rebecca, how about for you? How do you know that you're a type five? Well, I, I will add really quick that I know y'all can't see me, but every time Tony speaks, I'm nodding. <laughs> so like, <laughs> totally relate to, to a lot of that. I think I know that I'm a type five when it just comes down to that core desire and core fear. I know that I want to be seen as, well, not only just seen as, but actually be <laughs> capable mm-hmm. uh, and, and intelligent and be able to handle what's given to me. I, I think that's really the root of who I am and and why I do the things that I do or why I go about doing things a certain way. And the other thing about a type five though that really resonates with me is that energy or, or resources or do I have enough to give for this particular thing? 
to a point where I try to plan my schedule around how much energy something will take. Um, So especially social events. If I know I have to give out at a social event in an evening, I got to try to make my day real chill. Yes. And even just with work, if, you know, I do a three and a half hour training of onboarding of new pretend patients. And so I know if I'm doing that that day, the other part of my day has to be pretty chill. Like, Mm -hmm. please don't put a bunch of meetings there. Right. (laughs) Really be extroverted, you know. So those are the things that really stand out for me as a type five. And I know that that's what I am. Yes, I love that. I've heard it explained for fives that it's like for all other types, if you're an iPhone, you're you're plugged in overnight, you take your iPhone off the next morning off the charger, you're at 100% and you are good for the day. That is not so for the five. I the for the five, they can unplug their phone and they're at 40% and that is what they have to give for the entire day. So they're very methodical about what Uh, gets that 40% and what could take over that. I love that explanation of, I know if I have this event, I'm at 5% for the rest of the day. (laughs) Well, I know your battery metaphor is just a metaphor, but I also get battery anxiety. And it drives me nuts when I see one of my kids at 10% at 3 p.m. (laughs) How can you live like this? So let's talk about core desires of the five, which is to be competent, to be knowledgeable, um, to have this expert level knowledge. How would you explain that to somebody who maybe isn't familiar with the Enneagram, Tony? There's going to be timidity and type fives to engage in something in which they feel ill-prepared or ill-equipped. But I would tell others, don't interpret that as them not being interested mm-hmm. or them being disengaged because that's not necessarily what's going on. And it's it's hard for me also to say that all type fives are really curious because I think I'm on the, the extreme of, of that end of the spectrum. Yeah. And I see some other type fives that I've met that aren't really that curious about things. And so that makes me curious about why they're not. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think that ultimately type fives are going to want to have some knowledge of what is the activity that we're going to be engaging in mm-hmm. before I can fully commit. It may look like I'm sort of detached, but that's not really what's going on. That's so well said. Rebecca, what would you add to that? I would add that to explain this to someone who doesn't know what the Enneagram is, I, as a type five, I want to be heard mm-hmm. and listened to because I'm capable, right? Yes. <laughs> because I have something to say. I also just want you to trust me to do my job mm-hmm. because I will. I will do it and I will do it to the best of my ability. But like Tony says, I might have to step back a few steps and think it through first, but that doesn't mean I'm not interested or want to participate. And then I would also say that if you aren't clear as to what I'm saying or what I'm expressing, or I would love if people would ask me more questions because I feel like in my mind, I've thought through everything. Right. And so by the time I tell share with you what I have to share, it's just that final conclusion. And so, so often people will come back to me and be like, yeah, well, what about this? And, what, and I'm like, duh, like I've already thought about all that. I would just like more questions as opposed to like that knee jerk, like rebuttal to what I've said, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But that's kind of how you will see the type five in me play out. Do you find yourself bothered by getting interrupted? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm more sensitive to interruptions than maybe most people. And I don't know if that's a type five thing or not, but it, I think it comes from a place of you're not really listening. And I only have so much energy to give you this answer. 
Right. And, you know, again, I'll go back to my kids. Occasionally, if they're not listening to something that I just said, that's that's going to irritate me more than it probably would most people. Yes. Tony, how do you see your core desire of being competent and knowledgeable play out as a CEO in a financial institution? Okay, well, this this may seem trivial, but I don't think there are very many people that get more irritated at spelling, grammar, mistakes, typos, in written communication. When someone uses a word the wrong way, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm having office flashbacks from your Michael Scott. <laughs> when that kind of stuff happens, I, I'm, it just bothers me more. And that's what originally made me think maybe I'm a perfectionist because it bothers me when someone sends me something that has an obvious, to me, they're all obvious, yes. obvious typos, spelling mistakes, that kind of stuff. As for burdens though, it, you know, meetings to me that have a nebulous purpose are just the word. It's like Superman holding oh, kryptonite. I just melt in my chair. <laughs> and I think of that Snickers commercial. Where it's like, do you wish you were somewhere else? And yes. I just wish I could snap my fingers and be anywhere else on the battlefield. It doesn't really matter because at least on the battlefield, you got a purpose. Right. I got to go shoot somebody. There has to be an agenda. Mm-hmm. It has to start on time. It has to finish on time. And when we're done covering the topics that we have to cover, let's stop the meeting. Yes. You make my Enneagram one heart so happy with that. Yes. Rebecca, where do you see that core desire show up for you in a work setting? I think in a positive way, if I don't know how to do something, I will research it and I will figure it out. You know, that's that desire to be capable kind of drives you there, right? Mm -hmm. That curiosity that Tony was talking about, you'll find a way, Mm -hmm. you'll get it figured out. And I think that results in very innovative thinking, ways of approaching projects, maybe differently than other people would. I get to work with the OMHBPA program. It's like brand new to them, right? They know, they know, they kind of know what they know what they want, but they don't know how to get there. And I love that I get to help them get there Mm -hmm. by figuring out all the details. For the core fear of having burdens placed on them for fives or not being prepared um, for what's required of them or having to be rushed to make a decision where there's not enough time to give adequate answers or data for, where does that show up in a work setting for you, if at all? Oh, it definitely shows up. <laughs> so, I think just similar uh, to Tony's response in that meetings where there's a big, what I would feel is a big topic that is just being brought to our attention in the meeting as opposed to beforehand. Mm -hmm. And we're expected to like process it and talk about it right away. And so I do find that I shut down a little bit during those times, or maybe I'm not as much of a team player in those moments because I'm like, I don't know what I think about this. Mm -hmm. So when asking me, <laughs> I need to step back and figure it out. So another example of feeling like overburdened recently uh, in the fall, my counterpart went on maternity leave. And so for three months, I did two jobs and it, it, it was fine. You know, I got through it. <laughs> um, I was able to do it. And but it required a lot more of me. And I think 
then in come January, there was another new project. And I felt like that was my tipping point where I was like, hold up. I cannot do two people. She was coming back in a few weeks anyways, but I cannot do as much as I'm doing in this because mm-hmm. this thing that I'm doing, this new thing requires so much more focused effort because it's the development of something. Uh, and so I was able to be honest with my, my director. She's wonderful in that way. Like you can just talk to her. I think again, it just comes down to, I was starting to feel overburdened. Mm-hmm. And then when I get overburdened, then that's when the anxiety kicks in of not being able to perform to mm-hmm. the level that I want. Mm-hmm. That's such a good example. When I hear you say my direct report or my company has required me to take on a project when I'm already doing more than I typically would be doing as a one, look at that through the lens of resentment of you should know and appreciate what I'm already doing. And you should know that I'm already going the extra mile. So to put something else on my plate is just disrespectful. (laughs) Uh, Do do you feel that at all? Or is it something entirely different? It's a double-edged sword. So I like that. They think I'm capable of doing more, of doing this. Yes, yes. But yes, because I'm capable, it's often something that happens where we get kind of overloaded mm-hmm. with the work because we'll get it we'll get it done i would add that if, if someone feels like they're being assigned too much work a lot of times it's because they're the ones that get work done mm-hmm. if i'm thinking about a project that's really important and it has to happen i've got a very short list that i've got some people that they may not do it exactly the way I want it done. They sure are not going to analyze all the options like I would, but they're going to drive it and they're going to get it done. And not everybody in the organization has that skill set. And you don't want a whole organization full of people like that because you're going to have a lot of rough edges. Mm-hmm. But there's sometimes when you need someone to just drive a project home. I think that would be a compliment to somebody, but hearing that, well, look, I, in order to do this, I got to have some relief on something else. I think that's a, a fair rebuttal. Absolutely. Is there anything else that y'all want to add on core desires showing up at work or core fears showing up at work? I'll just add on how the core desire shows up in a work setting for a type five. If it's a complex or high stake decision, you can easily get paralyzed mm-hmm. by the analysis, especially when there are lots of solutions. An example would be if we're having to buy a software solution and there might be 10 or 12 uh, off the shelf options. Yes. I have a hard time saying, let's only look at six. Mm. I want to look at all of them. Yep. And that's not good. What happens is if you, if you only look at six and you choose one and you get down the road, and you don't like what you chose. You're reinforcing that initial fear that you should have looked, you should have been yes. more thorough. Yes. And so that unfortunately seldom does it work out that you just love whatever choice you made, you know, it's great if it happens, but it can really slow down an organization's tempo to be so analytical about the solutions. Because sometimes speed matters more than a type five might account for. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you would want to add, Rebecca? There's this this thing in me where I really want public recognition. And I had to think about why. And I think it comes back to wanting to be seen as capable by everybody that I work with. The people that I work closely with know that I'm capable because I work with them. Mm -hmm. But the people that I don't work as closely with on my team don't always get it, (laughs) right? They don't always know because we've not had that um, one-on-one experience. And so I, I would love like for a director or boss or something to incorporate the same level of recognition that they give me privately in a public setting. And I feel horrible saying that Mm. because it feels like so prideful or something, but it just, 
helps. And I think because I'm also a pretty quiet person. And so if you don't work directly with me, I just think you don't realize Mm -hmm. how much I can offer you, how much I can bring to the table. And I think people often mistake that quietness for passivity, Mm -hmm. which I could see how they come to that conclusion. But that's where I think the public recognition would help kind of solve that a little bit. Gosh, as an Enneagram coach, I want to celebrate that for fives when they are able to articulate something that they need that feels vulnerable because it's all too comfortable and safe to say, I have this need, but what if it's not met? Um, it's easier for me to just hold that to myself and, with, and withhold that and not be a, I guess, cheerful receiver of the blessings that other people have to offer fives. And oftentimes that's nurturing and that can come in the form of encouragement. So for somebody who is self-aware in that way, especially for a five to be able to acknowledge that, I think should be celebrated. I do think that also may pull from that four wing. Four is like that significance of where, how do I fit? Um, do you relate to that uh, desire for recognition of competency in a work setting in a similar way or not so much? Not as much, but uh, I, I was, as she was giving that answer, I thought, I wonder if she also accepts nonverbal responses. Like if you can read someone's face and you can tell that they think you're competent based on what you're presenting. Yes. Does that, does that count? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, of course, the, the opposite of that is true as well, right? Oh, sure. they're, they're giving you a face, yeah. But absolutely. Kelsey, okay. have you read anything or do you, do you have any data on how many type fives are introverts versus extroverts? From what I've read, and I'm just pulling the data in my mind here, most fives are described as introverts. With the Enneagram, there's three subtypes, social, sexual, or one-to-one, and then self-preservation. And it's believed that the self-preservation fives tend to be more introverted than the one-to-one or the social fives. What I have heard consistently through coaching fives and interacting with them is that they lean into social environments, not always because they're driven to, but because they believe the data that that matters. I had a coaching call earlier actually today with a five and she said, I'm a social five because I've done the research and I, I realized that it actually matters, that I need it, that my team needs it, and that there are benefits that come from it. I wouldn't say for fives that they have that natural bent to be around people because it does require that energy and and they do have a reserve that they're pulling from. But because they know it matters, they they do insert themselves into those social settings. Tony, you kind of touched on this uh, before. How can you tell when you're motivated from an unhealthy place as opposed to a healthy place? So with fives, this motivation to be competent really is a gift. So many legal risks are prevented because type fives do their homework. Fives are very good about bringing that pertinent and helpful information to the table. At times, they can sometimes delay decision-making out of fear that they haven't done enough research. There's always one more book to read. There's always one more person to ask. There's always one LinkedIn course I could watch or, or whatever it is. For you, how can you tell when you're motivated from an unhealthy place as opposed to a healthy place? Well, I'm not sure I can really tell the difference all the time. I'm not really tuned into that. But I think if I assume that I'm not up to the task, there's probably a flag that I'm I'm motivated from a so-called unhealthy place. Mm-hmm. If I'm willing to take risks without knowing all the facts, which is you know, sometimes, and, and that's my estimate of knowing all the facts. Right. And, and sometimes that's 
blown out of proportion, then that's probably a healthy place that I'm making that decision. But ultimately, I'm going to judge myself as foolish or unreliable Mm -hmm. if I'm knowingly shorting the due diligence process. And again, I'll go back to that example of choosing, you know, a major software purchase or something like that. If you do it and then you find out a week later that some other, you know, one of your competitors bought a different one Mm -hmm. and it's better and you didn't know that that was an option, that really makes me question the due diligence process. And so I don't know if that's unhealthy or healthy, but that's Those are some of the mental gymnastics that happen every day. Yeah, absolutely. Rebecca, how about you? How can you tell when you're motivated from an unhealthy place as opposed to healthy? I think it just shows up in my reactions to other people, right? So I will be snippy with you, frankly. (laughs) If I start my sentence with, okay, look, right? Like I'm I'm in a really frustrated place. Mm -hmm. That usually goes back to being misunderstood or misheard and and I just lose my patience real quick, I think, when when I'm not being listened to. And I think that's unhealthy, right? I should be able to extend the same thing that I'm asking for, right? I should be able to listen to you and let you finish your thoughts, even if they're in contradiction to my own. So, and I think that when I'm in a healthy place, a place of peace, I can just, I can just do that. I can just listen. I can hear you out, ask, Mm -hmm. ask those follow-up questions and not make it so much about myself. Mm -hmm. I have heard a five tell me one time that he feels unhealthy when he's lost his ability to be curious. I think there may be something there to to say when I've lost my ability to to think like what's going on here that curious nature I've lost my ability to maybe connect with other people. Yeah, I don't think anyone can go down a an unproductive YouTube rabbit hole like a Type <laughs> Five. The other night I was I got home and I was kind of in that mode of solitude yes. and you know YouTube's giving me all these recommendations and there was one that just seemed so abstract but it was a forty five minute video with no words of a camera in this Chinese restaurant. And the whole time, it's just taking video of, of this guy back there making food. And I thought, why is this recommending? I mean, that doesn't <laughs> yes. seem like anything I'd be interested in. But then I, as I started questioning that, I thought, well, why? what's he doing? How is he doing all that? He's preparing a lot. How is he getting all that? That's a small space. Why is it so unclean? Is that allowed? You know, so all these things are going <laughs> And before you know it, now I watched enough of it that now YouTube thinks they've really hit a home run. (laughs) So the the clock just stands still sometimes. Yes. You find yourself burning up a lot of time for no reason. So for the top fives who are listening, who maybe feel stuck, what advice would you give? The blind spots of observation can be really big. So I think sometimes a type five is going to determine how they're going to interact in a situation. They're first going to observe and try to, to measure things, measure other people's abilities, other people's experience level, mm-hmm. uh, talent level, and figure out where they fit into that. And the problem with that is you, you have so many blind spots. So I would tell a type five, be careful what you conclude about the ability of others mm-hmm. when you have limited exposure to them. Because somebody's confidence can come in and be a proxy for competence Mm -hmm. and you've misjudged that. And so you hold back your own input because you figured this person's a couple of levels above me on this topic. So I'm going to just hold back. And then you might discover later on, I didn't know what they're talking about, but they sure had confidence confidence and certainty when they gave their, their answer or interacted in that capacity. And I think it's important to to practice the shallow end of the relationship pool. And that's very difficult for me. I I don't like small talk. 
Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't like people, but I want to go from small talk to deep end mm-hmm. pretty quick. Yes. I don't want to splash around up there in the kiddie pool. <laughs> yes. Because that's that's not real. Right. You know, you, know, you pass someone in the hallway. Hey, how's it going? That's all right. Well, I'm not really going to peel the onion on that. Right. I, I didn't really mean if you're having a bad day, let's talk about it. Yes. What I really meant that as is a greeting. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I acknowledge you. I hope you're doing well. My wife says uh, I tend to leave church in a beeline. And, you know, I'm going to say hi to people. I'm going to shake hands, whatever. But I'm ultimately going to the car. Right. That's and, where I'm headed. That's my objective. Because I don't want to be in the shallow end of the, of the relationship. Yes. Well, now, I'm, I'm more than happy to sit down with somebody and go deep on something. Mm-hmm. And it could be something I don't know anything about. Um, yeah. I'll do that all day. But I, that that shallow end is tough for me. Yeah. I just love that how you put that because same, exactly the same. And I make a beeline for the door after church as well. And my husband's like, slow down. But yeah, chit chat just feels kind of empty or meaningless, I guess. I love how you put that, Tony, is to just, we have to find a way to engage in it. Because if I don't engage in the chit chat, there's not... I'm not likely going to get to the deeper stuff mm. because how am I going to get meet anybody? How am I going to yeah. get to know anybody? And, and I think a couple other things that I would tell a type five would be to be willing to explain yourself so that people understand better where you're coming from. And then I would also say to type five, just continue to, of course, be what you are, do what you do. Give your insight, give your ideas because they are valuable. And even if you're in a situation where you feel like they're not being seen, mm-hmm. still give it, still speak up. And you say explain yourself because uh, there's a tendency to be direct and short. And like, now I've given you my answer. That should be the end of this. Yes, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point because we hinder communication with others sometimes by our willingness to communicate in what I would call like a text message style. Mm-hmm. And that's how I am uh, to a fault. You know, my daughter sent me a, a text a few months ago saying, hey, dad, just to let you know, there's a bomb threat at the school right now. And my response to her was, don't blow up. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people would consider that a reasonable response, but I didn't assess that to be a real risk. I know how the bomb threats work. Somebody wanted to get out of a test. Sometimes... If you don't know the person, then those brief answers can look a little bit like, I don't want to talk to you. And so I I totally agree with the explain yourself a little better uh, approach. I love the relationship that you have with your kids. Like you bring such a jovial and fun, sarcastic at times element to the relationship that I think is, I just very much appreciate. I don't think we give fives enough credit for the humor that they can really bring to the table. I just lament that sarcasm is on the spiritual gifts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Um, y'all have done so well. You've represented, I think, the five so very well. I'm so thankful to have had y'all on the show today. Is there any final thoughts, any last things that you want to share before we sign off today? I do have one thing. At the, the quote at the end of my signature in my email is Emerson saying, our chief want in life is someone who will make us do what we can. But I think knowing each other's Enneagram types is a great first step in knowing how to help people be the best versions of themselves. Absolutely. So I'm really glad that you're doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you both for being on the show today. It was such a pleasure, such a joy. Our listeners are going to get some really incredible information and insights. So thank you. Thanks, Kelsey. 
Thanks so much for listening to this conversation with Enneagram 5's Tony Hale and Rebecca Morales. I hope listening has given you greater insight into the mind of the five and a deeper appreciation for the approach fives take in the workplace. If you are interested in taking a deeper dive into the Enneagram, I would love to be your Enneagram coach. Click the coaching link in the show notes or go to valleypointcoaching.com for more details. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.